A term that I never use is pseudo-intellectual. A pseudo-intellectual. Oh, he thinks he's, he's one of these uh, pseudo-intellectuals. I guess I just, I, it's been thrown around so much. I mean, you sound like a pseudo-intellectual when you call someone a pseudo-intellectual, I think is why I don't use it. But it does apply to certain people. I mean, it plays into what I've talked about many times on here about how, you know, so many arguments, like especially if you look at arguments online, what they boil down to is, oh, you don't agree with me, so you're stupid. Are you some kind of moron? He's some kind of moron. You know, a lot of it boils down to that. Like, people who think the way I think or agree with... It doesn't matter what the subject is. I mean, you could see it... You could go to a forum about lawnmowers and see people talking to each other that way. You, of course, see it in politics. See it with history. Any subject that somebody's interested in, you're going to see... Oh, you don't agree? You, You must be a moron. And then the implication is that I'm smart for thinking the way I think. And how, you know, so much of the discourse, as they call it, in, in, when it comes to any topic, is just, you're stupid. And I, I, I'm smart. And how so many people have completely, the truth is, they, they both have average intelligence, usually. You know, yeah, there are some truly stupid people who fight online, but usually what they say is just, they don't try to sound smart. Like, genuinely stupid people, and this is true in, in real life as well. I mean, the, the internet is real life. There's no distinction anymore. I don't know if there ever was, but there definitely isn't anymore. But in, in uh, waking reality on the street, at the store, on the road especially... Um, it's just as true. We're genuinely stupid people. Like they'll just they just want to fight. They'll just call you names. They don't try to seem smarter, and they don't try to make you seem stupid. Yeah, there are stupid people who will be like, "You dumb, dude, you fucking dumb." You know, there are people who will say that, but often it's much more base. You know, it's just like, "Dude, I'll fuck you up, I'm gonna fuck you, I'm gonna fuck you up, dude, I'm gonna fuck you up, what the fuck you." They'll, they'll just repeat themselves. They'll, re- they'll repeat some hostile comment just over and over and over. What are you looking at? What are you looking at? What are you looking at? Um, and they kind of do that online, too. It's like, do you want to fucking meet up with me? You know, it, it's much more base. It's from a much more base level. But the sort of people who will actually argue and try to make points, no matter how good or bad the points are, those sort of people are often of average intelligence. And it's people of average intelligence who are the most concerned about seeming smart or dumb, like depending on what, you know, serves them. I've said this before, how people of average intelligence are much like the economic middle class where they're chameleons. Chameleons who, you know, I shouldn't even call them chameleons, like they want to be chameleons. But they're not that good at blending in or hiding. But they're people of the middle class, like often try to identify as wealthier than they are or poorer than they are. You know, it's very common for someone who's, you know, from the comfortable middle of the middle class to want to seem richer, like part of the upper classes, you know, part of the upper class, and then, or they want to seem lower class. 
um, whatever you know serves them better, whatever they can get some sort of advantage from, be it social or anything. You know, people of average intelligence are very much the same way, where they'll try to seem smarter than they are or dumber than they are, depending on what the advantage is. And you, you see it all the time, where people pretend to be dumber than they are. It's almost like a false humility. Sometimes it's uncool to be smart. Um, any number of reasons. I, I first became aware of it just growing up in school. Growing up in school, where I was like, oh yeah, like it's, it's, it's cool to seem dumber than you are. It's cool to act less aware of things than you are. You know, uh, it's not cool to, re to remember someone's name. It's not cool to know the answer to a question. It's not cool to get good grades. And I would see this a lot because there'd be kids who, like in class, acted like they were dumb. Hanging out with people, like just acting like they didn't care and they were dumb. But then you'd hear about them like, oh, they were, they were up all night studying for a test. Oh, they get good grades. Yeah, you can get good grades without caring. But a lot of these people were, you know, they tried to seem dumber than they were because that was cooler. And, you know, it's fine, whatever. I, 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 it never even bothered me, really. I just kind of noticed it. But then the other side of that, of course, is all of the people of average intelligence who try to seem smarter. And there's a ton of them. Um, I've mentioned before, like, the sapiosexuals. Like, I'm a sapiosexual. And you'll only ever see a woman call herself that. I don't know if they're still doing it, but some years ago, you'd see, I'd see it on uh, like dating websites. You'd hear people say it. They'd post it online. People I knew, a couple people I even knew, I'd be like, I'm actually a sapiosexual. I'm attracted to intelligence. It doesn't matter who it is. I'm attracted to intelligence. That's what it means. And it's like, oh, there's an implication in that that you yourself are smart. Because only a smart people would, only a smart people, only a smart person would be attracted to intelligence, right? You'd have to be smart to be able to detect that intelligence. And like when I hear that, when when someone says like I'm a sapiosexual, I just hear oh, I'm a liar. I'm a liar. That's what I hear. That's what I, I sense. <laughs> I don't I don't just hear it. I feel it. I feel like that's a liar. Um, in, in, in many different on many different levels but it's also an attempt to be like one it's a word you have to look up you know <laughs> one one it's like it's a very esoteric word if you don't if you've never seen it before because that's what happened to me I remember I was probably on okay Cupid or something because you know these these trends started in Olympia this area before they became national I mean they were in cities and stuff but you know, they're way more widespread in the last couple of years. But this was going on, you know, over a decade ago here. And I remember being on OkCupid and like clicking on some, you know, young, hip, liberal girl's profile. And it was like, I'm a sapiosexual. I'm a sapiosexual. Guys, I'm coming out as a sapiosexual. I'm attracted to intelligence. I'm attracted to the intelligentsia. Um, but I... What was I going to say about that? Um... Just, you know, it's, you're, you're trying to communicate that you yourself are intelligent. But then you see it like, you know, outside of that, 
you know, outside of like identifiers. I mean, because that's even almost, that's just as bad as putting a Mensa sticker on your car. Being like, I, I'm, did you know I have a high IQ? I'm a member of Mensa. Oh, he's a member of Mensa. You'd hear that. I, don't, I haven't heard that in a long time. But growing up in the 90s, there was a lot of talk about Mensa. I haven't thought about Mensa in a long time. Mensa. He's a member of Mensa. He's very intelligent. Oh, but just so you know, that guy's got an extraordinarily high IQ, and you need to know. But yeah, calling yourself like a sapiosexual or, or using any other kind of identifier to make yourself seem smart. I mean, even like someone who insists on putting doctor before their name or insists on putting their academic credentials. And even that's a form of this. I mean, those people probably are smart, but there's different forms of intelligence, of course. But then even just in, the, in communication with people, I mean, people talk to their friends this way. This isn't just people who don't know each other on, you know, Facebook comments or something. This isn't just people online who are just, like, blindly attacking a phantom. Um, people talk to each other this way face-to-face. -face. People try to make other people feel dumber than they are, and they try to make themselves seem smarter. Because anytime you try to make someone feel dumb, you're elevating yourself. And, uh, you know, intelligence, though... You know, obviously there are different forms of it and I don't need to get into that. I always say on here, you know, my the, the true form of intelligence to me is just simply awareness. Not even what you do with that awareness, but simply being observant, noticing. That's why I say like you can't measure animals the way you would measure IQ or anything like that. Oh, animals are stupid because they can't read. Oh, animals are stupid because they don't know how to do this thing that we know how to do. No, but look at how aware they are. Look at how observant they are. More than you. The things they sense and notice, that's kind of what it is. It's just sense. It's awareness. That's pure, unadulterated intelligence to me is just that. I can't think of any, any other definition other than just pure awareness. And the people who I consider dumb, you know, I try not to see people that way. I, I'm not one of these people who says, geez, everybody's dumb. Man, everybody's so dumb. The people are dumb, aren't they? <laughs> you know, people who say that, again, it's like, even though that's not talking down to one specific person, when you say people are so dumb, which you hear every day, it's, it's saying like, I'm smart. I'm smarter than most people. People being dumb is bad for me because I'm smart and it means I have to be around a bunch of dumb people. Oh. You know, that's, that's what they're saying. And you hear it every day. But, um... Where's I going with this? Um, oh, yeah, for me, like, I don't, I don't see most people as dumb because, like, I'm very... I'm aware of how aware people are. And people are very dishonest about their level of awareness. Again, like kids in school being like, they sit behind a kid every day in homeroom, in homeroom, 
and then pretend they don't know that kid's name. Pretend they don't know who that is. I don't, I don't know. You, know, you see that a lot. And those same kids get drunk once at a party after high school and run into each other and they remember everything. When their inhibitions are down, the awareness comes out. Dude, I totally... I saw this with social media when it was kind of getting popular, you know, in the early 2010s. Where it, everybody was on Facebook by then and using it a lot. And you were kind of supposed to act like you weren't privy to all of these things you were now being exposed to about, about this person. That they were exposing to you, they were throwing out there. You kind of had to pretend like you hadn't seen that. Well, you go meet up with somebody for happy hour and you kind of, you need to pretend that the story they're telling you, you didn't see them post on Facebook earlier that day. Or that um, you didn't see them express some candid feeling. I don't know, it was it just kind of, and I noticed with younger generations who grew up using that even more, they'll just, I, I think of a relative of mine who's, you know, almost, almost a decade younger, and she'll just, she thinks nothing of, um, you know, talking about like what you've posted online or something that, that they saw you say online, anything like that. Like it's just an open part of the conversation, you know, and, and it's, because it's just normal, it's natural. But I think I, I grew up at a time when like using the internet, you almost, it, it was like you were expected to keep it secret. Like you didn't, um, it was almost like a dirty secret, weirdly. Like it, it was seen as like this, I mean, I wish that people who are younger than me could go back to that time period, the 90s and early 2000s, you know, I've joked on here before about how like, you know, the way the internet was presented and the way some people viewed it was like, oh, you, if you use the internet, if you send an email, someone's gonna steal your wife, all your money and, and steal your identity. You're gonna be nothing. If you use the internet too much, uh, someone's gonna steal everything from you. The most important things to you, you know, your your identity, your income, and your wife. But you better be careful of the internet. Oh, and then they're going to lure you. A, pa a pedophile is going to lure your child to. They're going to buy your child a plane ticket and fly him out to the Midwest, and you know they, they, they light, your family's ruined. <laughs> but that's how it was. People viewed it that way. It was this dangerous thing. It was seen as so dangerous. And there was some dangerous stuff, but it was also this deep fear. It was this new thing that made a lot of other things possible, like new things that people hadn't thought about before, but also things that impacted like our core, the things that are most important to a person, like their family, their, their money, their identity the honor of their children and why, you know, it's like your wife's going to meet a guy in a chat room. 
oh, I knew these, I knew these people, he, and, uh, you know, his wife met another guy in a chat room, and she left him and the kids. Those things happened, but it was just, people thought that it was much more common. They thought it was more dangerous than it was. So that partly influenced why people were, why people treated the internet like this secret thing or this forbidden thing. But I mean, the, I still remember in the 90s too, though, you know, people limiting their kids' television time to like a half hour, hour a day. Video games. Like I had a friend growing up where his parents had a rule, like only an hour of video games a day. And that was the only family I knew like that. There were others, but they were typically religious or something. Uh, most of my friends, though, you go over and you play video games the entire time you're there. And I can tell you that that was not a... Um, that had no influence on how any of them turned out, <laughs> you know? <laughs> and same with watching TV. Like, most of my friends, too. It's like, you could watch just about anything you wanted. Like, somehow, and I think this is pretty cool, somehow, like, me and my closest friends... And our parents were all very different types of people, but they were all cool with us, like, watching as much as stuff as we wanted, and they were very uh, liberal about, like, what they let us watch. Like, there were certain things that, you know, if it was, you couldn't watch anything that was, like, rated X or rated NC-17, if something was, like, too heavy in sexual content, like, even if it was just a popular movie that had been in the theaters, if it was too heavy on sexual content or something, that wouldn't have been cool, like, our parents wouldn't have liked that. But beyond that, like, we were really, from a young age, allowed to consume whatever we wanted. And all of our parents were like that. But it was just a couple that weren't. And one of them, of course, was the, um, the hour-a-day video game family. They had all kinds of weird rules. They were like ultra Bill Clinton. They were the only family I knew growing up who was outwardly political. And they were like hardcore Democrats, hardcore Bill Clinton supporters. And they, they had their child programmed. They had their son programmed in all these different ways. Um, like they had him go into tutors and things from like before he was even in school. Like they wanted this kid to be smart. And he was a smart kid, but he, on the, he was a smart kid within the average intelligence range. Because being of average intelligence, you're aware, you're smart. Um, he was he was a smart kid, but he he wasn't a baby genius by any means. But his parents were trying to like, program him that way, and they also had all of these fears for these people who were not religious, socially very liberal. It was interesting that like they were very fearful about what might influence their son. Like you go over to their house, and you know you're going to be fed some like home cooked meal that's not what you want at all like i'm not even, i'm not trying to knock somebody who's cooking me a meal but i was a very picky eater as a kid and like when you go over to a friend's house you don't want to have some like sit down dinner with some kind of like cuisine the 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 kids like worldly mother you know, wants to impress you with or something. She's trying to, like, impress herself. Like, that's not what you want. Like, you want to go over and the kid's mom is just like, what time do you want me to order the pizza? 
There's Pepsi's in the fridge. That's how mo like almost all of my friends' families were. Oh, Eric's over. Oh, what time you guys want me to order the pizza? That's how my house was. You go over to this kid's house, though, and his mom would have picked out the movie you're going to watch that night. Always just one. And, you know, a couple times it was like European movies that had been dubbed in English. And I'm not even knocking the movies, but it was like, oh, we're going to show the boys a foreign film tonight. We're going to prepare a, a meal at the table and show the boys a, a foreign film. And even if it wasn't foreign, it was like some, some sort of like coming of age movie based on a book. Something about, some like very wholesome story about a boy coming of age. Saw some cool movies and stuff, but it, it and then his, his parents would always watch it with you. The more I, I, I haven't thought about this in a long time. Like I've thought about the, I, I think about this family all the time. And like, I think about some of these things, but I haven't thought about this in a long time. How it's like, yeah, the, the mom would pre-select the movie. There was always some intent behind it. Like she had some intent of educating you. And then she would watch it with you. Nothing like any of the, there was nothing like my house and nothing like my other friends' houses where you'd go over, you know, you'd, you'd pick the movie. Our parents would take us to Blockbuster or Video Update. I loved Video Update. And you'd, uh, hang out there for like sometimes half hour there were times where I probably spent an hour in Blockbuster easily but you'd go there and you'd just you'd make your rounds you'd look at everything and then you and like the other kid or group of kids it's like then you would select something and the parent would just the parent would have chosen some movie for themselves and then you'd go and might be a couple movies that you rented and then you'd watch it in a place where like the parent the parent might be like around the corner in the kitchen or something but they're not watching the movie with you they order you a pizza you know you, you the only interaction you have with the parent is like oh the pizza's here <laughs> and but the, the whole night is like you and the other kids being able to joke and talk and like watch whatever you want it's some action movie Something violent. Something rated R. And you're just, you're able to just be yourselves and watch this thing and eat pizza. And that was always so fun. And I think back about this kid's house and I hate, you know, I like this kid, but his house was just so unfun and it had a reputation for being unfun. He's the kid where like my best friend Nick was invited to this resort town on the other side of the state by this kid's family because they were building a bed and breakfast there they were going to like build a little bed and breakfast that they'd live in and run and uh, <laughs> they they invited him there for like this long summer trip it was like oh we're going to go like stay there while the while the bed and breakfast is being built you know it's it's out in the wild like it's got this cool little resort town that's designed like a bavarian village all the architecture, it's called Leavenworth, Washington. It's The architecture is all old Bavarian style, like even the gas station and stuff. It's got all these touristy shops. It's popular in the winter for skiing and snowboarding and that kind of thing. 
Um, so it'd be a fun place as a boy just to kind of run wild for a summer. And so they took him there, and then it turned out like they expected my, my best friend to work all summer. And these are kids. These are like 11 or 12-year-olds at the oldest. I think probably, yeah, 11. And you're an 11-year-old, and like you weren't told in advance that this is going to be your trip. Um, and I can tell you, like, I, I love this family, and I still do. Like, I mean, I haven't talked to them or seen them in ages, but... Um, these were fun people to grow up around, and I know they meant well. But um, I can tell you already that if like they invited me to like spend a month with them in another part of the state without my parents or anybody, like I, I would have turned it down. Like one because I was just too attached to home, but two also because this particular family, I just you know it's weird. Is I, I couldn't have done that with anybody. There's no way that I could have gone away for more than a couple weeks, and that even that's pushing it. Like I just don't feel comfortable doing that. Um, but the idea of like going away for a while with this family, I just would have turned it down straight up because I'm like, that's not going to be fun. I want to be at home. I'm not going to like this. But they invited my friend Nick and, and like didn't tell him in advance like they were gonna have work for you to do all day, like chores. You know, not gonna like make them build the bed and breakfast, but they're gonna have them doing stuff all day. And they, they and like my friend Nick was like shocked. He couldn't believe that he'd been, it, it's almost like Pinocchio getting turned into a donkey and put in a cage or something. Um. You know, he was just shocked that this that they were doing this, <laughs> and uh, <laughs> like I think he questioned it, and the mom was like, you "Guys, got to earn your keep or something." And they weren't like that; they weren't miserable people. Like they were just they were very tense. And it's not like this was like some Russian immigrant family where it's like the the boys will work. You know, it was just I don't know. They 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 just. They were trying to, like, set up a weird system. And my friend, like, immediately called his mom, and she drove, like, hours to get to this town on the other side of the state and, like, bring him home. Because a mom will do that. Like, I'm, I'm stuck with them. Because, like, the thing is, everybody kind of, like, you know, they were welcome at every get-together. They were part of our lives and everything. But everybody, all the other families, like, joked about them. And not in any particular way. Like it wasn't like anything disparaging. It was just they just they were just kind of like a butt of, of jokes. It was like oh well them. And it was a house too, like where you go over there, and they're like you want a snack, and it's like they give you like sliced apples, and a uh, and then they go to their like basement pantry where there's room temperature natural sodas haven't even been refrigerated. And you get one of those. It just sucked. <laughs> it's like, oh, we'll give you slices of some weird cheese and apples. And then we'll go get a, a lukewarm, room temperature, unrefrigerated natural soda for you to sip on. You didn't, you didn't even want it. Like, I had friends where you go to their house and it's like... I mean, I, I had two friends 
where there was even a separate fridge. They, each of these families had two fridges and they were just filled with Pepsi. Like my fridge at home was filled with Pepsi too, but like they had this like separate fridge and it was just go in and get a Pepsi whenever you want one. My friend Ryan, he there was a, a fridge right outside his bedroom. And it wasn't just his fridge, but the family just had two fridges. They had one in the kitchen, and then like they, you went down this hallway where the bedrooms were, and there was a fridge where they kept drinks, which is cool. Because you just like, you would hang out in his bedroom, and we'd just open the door, go get a Pepsi. And it's just always, it always has Pepsi. And... Uh, you just, there's no, you don't have to ask. Just go grab a Pepsi. Go grab a Pepsi. Go grab a Pepsi. This other house, though, it's like you have to be offered a soda, and it's a warm, it's, it's a boil, <laughs> it's a boiling hot natural soda. It's so, it's, it's, it's been kept on the heater. The can is so hot it burns your hands and it burns your lips to taste it. But yeah, anyway, they, the point, the point, if there was one, but the reason uh, that I brought it up though is just because all of these rules, video games, they timed you. And how like the culture of the 90s it was still believed like, oh yeah, if you play video games too much, like something bad will come of it. And part of that's like, oh, kids aren't getting outside because they need to do kid things. I mean, that's a there's a real argument to that. We we did a lot of that too. That's the thing is like, none of us wanted to just play Nintendo all night. Like usually, like a sleepover would go like this, up to a certain age. You'd have like three or four kids or even if it's just you and the kid who lives there like you'd, you'd spend the first part of it like during like the the daylight hours and the early evening you know kind of running around playing like playing with toys going outside role playing the, the you're playing with toy guns and role playing that you're like an army platoon that you're in some star wars or movie you like and then usually like the night would wind down, you eat, and then you just sit there playing video games or watching movies the rest of the night. It wasn't like we went to someone's house and we were like, just better start immediately playing video games and play them forever. No, like video games are what you do at the end of the night and you do it for hours and hours, but it's the end of your night. You're all settled in, you stay up extremely late. Um, so. It, Kids are, were like self-regulating in that way, where it's it's like a kid actually likes to do a bunch of different things. And yeah, I understand the argument like, oh, we don't want kids just watching TV and movies and video games. They got to get outside and play. Well, we did that. I actually can't imagine doing more of it. But, you know, that, I, I do understand that argument at the very least. That like, oh, don't do that. Like, do these other things that are important, too. But still, like, a lot of it was it was an irrational fear. Like, the, the, the old joke, like, television rots your brain. People believe that. 
They might not believe it physically rots your brain, but there was an idea that just the content, but it, it was almost, uh, you know, magical in a way, because it wasn't just the content, because, you know, most of what was on TV wasn't that bad unless you were a religious fanatic. Like, I think about, like, the family who greatly limited their kids' TV, because they didn't have cable, if I even needed to say that. They didn't have cable. Okay. They did not have cable, which do I even need to say it? You know that all the other all the other ways I described them, I don't even think I needed to say that. I think that would that's just implied. It's built in. And yeah, if someone's poor or something, but this this family was not anywhere close to poor. They had a lot of money, so it was a, it was a you know a philosophical decision. But I can tell you something, it's like what I've said about napkins before, about poor people. It's like every poor person I knew had cable. Some of them had a satellite dish or digital cable. I knew poor people with digital cable when it was new because they that was more important to them than other things. Like there was a family I knew who didn't have a lot of money. They had cable. They had all these fucking channels. And they... Um, like some of the families, like, because this was a community of people, like everybody was in each other's lives a lot. And there, there was kind of like whispers because they were like, oh, like their son has a learning disability. He wasn't retarded or anything, but it's like he had a, you know, kind of, he was a little bit slow with, you know, anything educational, reading and just anything like that, school. Um, but he, they were like, oh, he, they're, they're paying for him to go to pitching lessons in baseball, but they won't pay for him to get a tutor. But, you know, like, I remember at the time thinking, like, one, like, this is like, it was the mom, it was the moms saying shit like that. I remember being like, oh, that's, you know, you, why, why do you guys even need to say that? But also thinking, like, well, that's what's important to them. That's what my mom said. Is like, she was like, well, you know, like, that's what's important to them. And it's, it's true. Like, that kid wasn't going to become a scholar. My understanding is he's making a good living as an electrician now. But I, he was never going to be a scholar. But they were really into sports and baseball. And he lived for that shit. So, you know, why not get him pitching lessons? But yeah, poor people, like, they will, you know, somehow, yeah, like someone who's like completely destitute is one thing. Um, but there are a lot of poor people where, like, they'll buy cable. They'll send their kid to pitching lessons. They'll sacrifice in other areas that many people would be like, what the fuck are they doing? But it, it's what's important to them. And the napkin thing is just, I brought that up before, where, like, I had an ex-girlfriend who made a comment once. Like, she was definitely middle class, maybe even the higher end of middle class, but she was someone who just was not comfortable identifying that way and kind of tried to make herself seem poorer than she was. Great person, like nothing wrong with her. This is just real talk. And like one time she made a comment, she was like, oh, only rich people like buy napkins. Only, only rich people have paper towels. And she said that like, you know, I have fucking paper towels in my kitchen. Like she knows that. She's like, only, only like rich people have paper towels or paper napkins. And I was like, first of all, like you go over to like a poor person's house and they're 
wasting napkins. They have tons of napkins and paper towels. They're smearing barbecue sauce and throwing it out. Like they, they, they're grabbing napkins to go with their meal. They grabbed a couple they didn't use, or they just throw them out anyway. I do that. <laughs> now I, I actually use my paper napkins quite a bit these days, but there are definitely times where like. I'll grab like three napkins with my plate of food. I use one and I just throw them all out. <laughs> and I, like going over to like a poor person's house, like I saw a lot of that. So this idea of like, oh, poor people don't do this. Poor people don't have cable. Poor people, whatever. I, I don't know. I don't, that's just unrelated to everything else I'm talking about. It's just a weird observation that it's like, Oh, like most poor people are just um, very efficient in what they use their money on. No, a lot of them buy it by like the biggest cable package. They rent pay-per-views. This is in the 90s. Um, they, they buy, like that's the thing, that, this family I knew didn't have much money. They would spend hundreds of dollars on fireworks for the 4th of July. And you know what? They had the funnest party. Like, I'd go over to their house for the 4th of July, and it was just the funnest thing in the world. But that was their pagan holiday. They weren't economical. I mean, there are a lot of poor people who just, yeah, for whatever reason, they, they ended up poor, and they're efficient and economical, and they have a strategy for being poor. Yeah, but there's way more poor people who have no strategy for being poor and don't know how to prioritize anything. And whether or not that's what made them poor or keeps them poor doesn't matter. It's just what they do. They're gonna buy a new car before they you know, spend money on something more important. But uh, anyway, that, that whole rant just comes about because this family, the people I knew growing up who didn't have cable it was always a conscious decision. It wasn't because they couldn't afford cable. It was because like they didn't want their kids exposed to what was on cable. And you go over to their house and you'd just be like, oh shit. You try to scroll through the TV and you'd be like, oh my God, this sucks. <laughs> this fucking sucks. And often there were people who gave you like health food for snacks and you're just like, yeah, this isn't, this is not fun. Where are the Doritos? Um, but yeah, there was a fear of those things. Eventually I'll return to my original topic, which is just the, the fear of these technological mediums, the internet, TV, certain movies, video games. And it wasn't just like that the content was bad there was a, just an idea that if you actually physically watch it, oh, it'll damage your eyes. You know, you'll be sedentary. You're not doing anything. You're not thinking. You're wasting your time. But there was almost a supernatural element to it, too, where it was like this This opens... And, and I actually agree with this side of it in a different way, but this idea that like this thing is a portal... This thing opens a gateway to things, you know, beyond our comprehension, to dark influences. And by that, I don't mean satanic 
not in a not in a specific sense, maybe in a general sense, it's satanic, but it, it opens a portal to dark things, or it can. The internet was very much viewed that way. Not only will it take everything that's important to you, and I mean that's a kind of a satanic idea too. It's like if you use the internet, it has the possibility of taking away everything that's important to you. You could lose your credit card, your child, your wife, your identity. Or you might see something truly horrific. Oh, if you get on the internet, be careful what you click on because you might end up seeing kitty porn. You might end up seeing a guy dying. And to be fair, that was on the internet. You could go to like Style Project, you could go to Rotten.com and see horrible things. You have to do some effort to find kitty porn, but you could find all, all sorts of weird porn. Weird porn. Um, so there, that st that, all that stuff was possible. Like all those fears were possible. But even if someone wasn't explicitly scared of those things, they were unlikely to happen, but even if they weren't explicitly scared of those, they, there was still this kind of reservation that you shouldn't use it too much. And therefore, I think a lot of people kind of kept their internet use secret because of that. You didn't want to admit to using it too much. You'd be seen a certain way. You'd be seen as weird. You'd be seen as a nerd. Be seen as a weird nerd. Are you one of those weird nerds? Are you one of those weird nerds? You know, um, you might be seen that way, or you just might be seen as like you're as compromised in some way. Like you've you've been staring into the abyss is kind of how it felt. And so I guess growing up during that time, I eventually made my way back to where I wandered off. But uh, going back, you know, to growing up, it's like. You know, there, there was something almost shameful. And then you contrast that with people who have grown up and taken it for granted. Taken social media for granted. Taken the internet as it is now, which is like almost fully integrated with our, you know, life in the flesh. You know, people who have grown up more familiar with that, it's, it's not weird to talk about it. Did you see the post by her? Did you see what he said? Oh, you watched this video. I was watching these videos. What did she say? Did you see what she said? Did you see what she posted? I saw the thing you posted. Yeah, I think people are more comfortable talking that way now. And even though I'm totally cool with it, because it's honest, I mean, that's... I don't mind people talking about that stuff because, yeah, it's it's very honest. It, it tells us that they are looking at it. They are consuming this information. They are paying attention to each other in ways that they previously weren't able to. Um, it is having a constant, immeasurable impact on everything. So people just talking freely about it, it's just honest, like, good. Like, it doesn't it doesn't bother me. I don't think it's uncool. I think it's just real. It's what's really going on is that people are consuming the internet all day long. They're consuming each other through the internet all day long. And so they're going to talk about it. So they might as well talk about it. 
That said, when when people talk about that stuff, I still feel almost like a chill go up my spine, like a shiver. That sort of like like what people used to say is like a like a uh, a cringe, like you cringe inside. Something about that stuff coming up still makes me f- cringe inside. Like, oh, we shouldn't be talking about this. They shouldn't be talking about that. I remember talking on here about walking by these two girls at a table outside Starbucks downtown. And one of them was saying to the other one, like, you know, he double liked my snap. Or no, he he double snapped me. Which I believe means he sent me two Snapchat, private Snapchat photos in a row. And so she asked her friend, she's like, should I double snap him back? Or should I just send him one snap? And I was like, one, props for the honesty. Props for the honesty. Because you're just, you're talking about what you, you're talking about your life. You're talking about this weird new other dimension that we are in, that we enter, but you're talking about your life. So you might as well talk this way. And then too, the complexity of what she was talking about, because I I couldn't figure out, I, I just briefly walked by them. I didn't just like, I didn't stop and lean against the wall and like, pretend to be doing something so I could eavesdrop longer. I heard what I needed to, to hear. So I kept walking, but I, I didn't hear enough to determine whether she liked this guy and wanted to communicate that back or, or was leery of communicating that back too directly. I couldn't tell if she wasn't interested in the guy and therefore wanted her friend's advice on like how to be polite but not too receptive. I couldn't figure that out. But what I did know is that it was significant to her that he snapped her twice in a row, that he sent her two private photos in a row. That meant something. And then it would mean something if she sent two back versus one back. That would also mean something. And I can understand basically what she's getting at, obviously. It's like reciprocal. You know, it's... However, like, I know that when I send two messages in a row, or I I don't snap anybody, but uh, I guess I have my own way of snapping. No, but, uh, you know, I, I guess whenever I've... If I send two messages in a row, it has no significance. It just means, like, I had a th- another thought. Or I have a continuation. It would never be... There would never be any assigned significance. Like it, would, it would mean that I'm like enthusiastic about communicating. Maybe I was kind of in a, in a mania in that moment. I go, here's this and this. Here's this and this. But there would be no... Uh, there'd be nothing like strategic about it I mean maybe if it was a girl I liked and I was apprehensive about it or didn't know what she thought about me I might be I might err on the side of being more conservative and like not seem too eager 
therefore like not send her like multiple messages in a row or anything like that but uh beyond that like it, it would it would really have no meaning like whether i send one or two to somebody but to this girl it had it had a meaning it had a significance it obviously communicated to her that he was interested in her but then she had to decide whether or not one or two snaps back were the right decision and she was consulting her friend she was consulting the council but it, it was a very honest moment it was years ago now but i was glad to have heard it because it was just it was very eye-opening to me um but it uh it still made me cringe like i'm glad that they were being open and honest about what they think and what they do but it also made me cringe inside because i still have that feeling i can't get rid of which is like you shouldn't be talking about this it's the same feeling i get like talking about going to the bathroom or eating food or sex every time those things come up i just kind of shiver and sometimes i force myself to talk about those things just as sort of an exercise but my gut feeling is like this shouldn't be said this shouldn't this shouldn't be mentioned don't mention this don't talk about this you know another moment like speaking of like being privy to a candid thought from a woman about the internet age is i was hanging out with these girls years ago friends of mine they were you know they're people i i respected they intelligent people not pseudo intellectuals but one of I overheard like I was sitting at the same table and like one of the girls was talking to the other girl and she said something about this guy she had dated and he ended up being weird or it didn't work out and she was like you know I should have known when I first looked at his Instagram she's like he had almost no followers and I was like wow I didn't judge my friend for saying that I just thought wow amazing amazing because I, I was just like, wow, I, was, I just got an inside view that women use, maybe not all women, but there are women who use social media to evaluate a man. And of course they would. Like everybody uses social media to evaluate people. But the numbers, the statistics, like she saw that this guy who otherwise seemed like a good guy she liked him but she saw that he didn't have very many followers on instagram and it was a red flag to her and she thought about it later when things didn't work out and i was just like wow what a moment like he doesn't seem to have significant status there must be a reason why he doesn't have some sort of status there must be a reason why people don't want to view his Instagram account in large numbers. Very interesting moment for me. Again, though, it didn't make me look down on my friend. I just thought, you know, that is... She's not alone. That is one of the, the tools available to us now. And there's something programmed in, you know, a, a number of women that will use that to evaluate a man. It means something to her.
and I guess the the state we're in now, which is you know this merger between what we once knew as reality and the internet, um, we do see a lot of crazy shit. Like it, Pandora's box has been opened. Our brains are fried by it. A lot of the criticism criticisms people make about social media, phones, the internet, you know, they're valid. It's just that they don't those those criticisms don't encompass all that it is because there's still it's so much that's great about it and I wouldn't trade it for anything it's just that we do see the evils of it and we do see the insane impact it's had on undisciplined minds because that's what it is the negative impact that the internet has had on people's uh, you know the negative impact that it's had on people's minds you know, it's undisciplined minds. And so people weren't prepared to have this kind of access to each other, to information, to other people's thoughts. And to just the amount of stuff going on. All that said, I, I find it very boring lately. I've been, I have to admit, I've been bored lately. This happens now and again, but I felt particularly bored lately. And it's, I'm not suffering. You know, you say you're bored and it's like, oh, I'm suffering from boredom. No, I'm not suffering. I've just struggled to really find anything that interesting. I have certain go-to subjects, like the mafia. I just have an autistic level of obsession with... But I take little breaks, and like there are times where I'm like, oh, you know, nothing's inspiring me. No research is inspiring me right now. That's how I'm feeling about it right now. Um, but there are other things that, you know, I'll pay attention to. Like, I don't watch movies. I don't play video games. I don't watch TV or anything like that. But I do a lot of reading. But lately, there's just nothing really speaks to me. And when that happens, I just kind of end up doing nothing, and I just accept that I'm doing nothing. I wish I had something that was captivating me right now. I wish I had something that was not boring to me right now, but I just kind of have to accept that, no, it's, it's going to be a boring period right now, and I should just kind of appreciate that. Because if it's not boring, it means you're freaking out about something. You know, maybe freaking out in a good way, but a lot of times in a bad way. Like, I said this to somebody earlier this year, they asked me, like, what do you do when you're bored? How do you deal with being bored? And I was like... Well, you can just appreciate the fact that nothing bad is happening, because if something bad was happening, you wouldn't be bored. So appreciate boredom while you have it, because it means you're not freaking out about something bad in that moment. Because freaking, <laughs> freaking out about something bad, no matter how much it sucks, it's not boring. But yeah, I've just been bored, and uh, what I end up doing is just kind of like looking at Wikipedia... Like reading about 9-11 hijackers. It's funny because my brain kind of... like My knowledge and interest in radical Islam kind of begins and ends with 9-11. I find them very interesting. Like I find these networks... I find, I find, I find Al-Qaeda very interesting. Albert Qaeda. Alfred Qaeda. No, I find Al-Qaeda very interesting, um, but 
you know, after that, you know, after the Iraq thing where they're like, now there's ISIS. Al-Qaeda is the this. Like, it's all Al-Qaeda to me. ISIS, ISIL. All these different names, all these different groups. It's all Al-Qaeda to me, man. It's kind of like, you know, what I was saying about ADHD the other day where, you know, the colloquial term for it was always just ADD. He's got ADD. Are they giving him Ritalin because he's got ADD? And then how people became aware of the fact that there was a more specific hyperactive variant, which was ADHD. So, do you mean ADHD? Oh, you said ADD. Did you mean ADHD? And I'm like, yeah, you know what I meant. You know what I fucking meant. And it sounds better to say ADD. We say ADD. We say Merry Christmas. We say ADD. Did you mean Happy Holidays? No, I meant ADD. No, I meant ADD. Eddie D. It's my buddy Eddie D. He has ADHD. But it's kind of the same with Al-Qaeda for me, where it's like... Oh, you hear what Al-Qaeda's doing? Do you mean ISIS? Do you mean the Islamic State? No, I mean Al-Qaeda. No, I, I, you know exactly what I fucking mean. Even though I say that, though, I can be very... <laughs> I'm so... Like, the things that matter to me, I'm so particular about. I'll, I'll instantly become that person the second it's a subject that I'm obsessed with. Well, no, it's actually this. Al-Qaeda. But yeah, I'll end up reading about the history of Al-Qaeda when I'm bored. There's a few subjects that I revisit. They're all generally dark. There's not really anything happy that I'm like, oh, I'm bored. I'll, I'll consume this happy subject. I'm bored. I'll read about something happy. Or, or just neutral. No, it's always like, oh, I'm just going to like read about Al-Qaeda for the hundredth time. I'm just going to read about Columbine for the thousandth time. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read about the evolution of white power gangs in Indiana for the 50th time. It's always something like that when I'm bored. I'm just like, I'm just going to look at this until I go to bed. But yeah, I, I haven't really seen anything like amusing or exciting or fun recently. And, you know, I'm not, I'm not upset. I'm not down. I just feel like we've entered this, this age... Where everything's been milked. I don't know what would speak to me right now. I'm not depressed. I just don't know what would captivate me. But anyway, I don't know. I, I somehow wandered into that territory. Pseudo. I was originally talking about pseudo-intellectuals, average intelligence. And now pseudo-intellectuals, pseudo to me, are... are you know, people of average intelligence trying to seem smarter than they are. And not just smarter, but smarter in a very particular way. You know, you think about academics. And let's use an example of someone I know. There's a guy I know, I'd consider him a friend, but I'm about to say negative things about him. Not someone I'm that close to. But this is a guy I know through research. And uh, he's the kind of guy where 
he is a smart person. But he's not smart in the way that he thinks he's smart or wants to be smart. Like, he's not an academic, but he sometimes masquerades as one and wants to give that he wants to give that impression. And a good example is like he's the kind of guy where if you've ever like debated or discussed something with him, he'll refer to these processes. Like he'll he'll announce like well that's called hermeneutics. Well if you use the Socratic method to deduce well, the preponderance of evidence, he, he t literally says those things. And I'm like, you know, if you were an actual intellectual, and, he, and he, he says those things and then makes some really bad argument. And if you actually were using those things, you wouldn't need to announce you're using them. Those things are processes. Like, if you're having an actual intellectual discussion, and I'm not implying I'm an intellectual, I'm just saying, though, if you're having an actual intellectual discussion... You're using those. You're using those processes. Like you're going to use the Socratic method. You're going to look at the preponderance of evidence. You're going to use hermeneutics. Can't even remember what that is right now. You're going to use all that stuff. And if you're, he's the same sort of guy where it's like he'll say like, "Well, that's the such and such fallacy." Evidence of absence is not evidence of evidence. Like these platitudes. And it's like, you don't actually need to state those things outright if they're part of what you're discussing. Like I have another friend who's an actual academic in a completely unrelated field, but we collaborate a lot. Um, and we'll like hash through information and discuss things and debate things and go back and forth. And at no point does this guy ever stop and say, even though he is a trained academic who works professionally in academia, in medicine, at no point does he stop and have to explain, well, I'm using the Socratic method to deduce, blah, 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 blah. At no point does he do that because if he is, you know, if he is doing that, it's just part of what he's presenting. It's part of what he's saying. There's no need to like, take a step away and explain what you're explaining and uh, you know it's something you see with actual pseudo intellectuals is they have a need to kind of like frame what they're saying so that you know it's in some academic school of thought or they're using some sort of analytical method when if they were using an actual analytical method, they wouldn't need to tell you that because the message would be communicated through the information and argument they're making. If you want to talk about the preponderance of evidence, all you have to do is mention the actual evidence that leads you to, to think the way you think about whatever it is you're thinking about. And uh, a lot of people are like this. A lot of people. I'm not like this. I'm sure I'm like this sometimes. I think we're all like this sometimes. But it's very difficult when you... You deal with it with... Like, I think this guy might be... 
an undi he, he might be on the autism spectrum but he's undiagnosed i know that gets thrown around all the time but just because it gets thrown around doesn't mean it's not true in many cases and this guy like i definitely think he's on the autism spectrum but he's old and you know people didn't used to get diagnosed with autism it wouldn't really make a difference i still know i'm dealing with autistic thinking we're great at cataloging information really great at cataloging information not good at analyzing it not good at synthesizing it and that's what i've dealt with a lot with autistic thinkers is there's a lot of self-superiority in autism like feeling apart from people feeling different but also feeling smarter or like you understand things better um, autistic people themselves admit this and it's generally been true of autistic people I've known and there's a lot of autistic people no there's, there's a lot of great autistic people there's some people who make it work for them but it's very difficult when you're trying to reason with one or talk to one because they're great with black and white information they're great at cataloging it remembering it they're not great at making sense of it. But, um, pseudo-intellectuals. Pseudo-intellectual. Oh, we got a pseudo-intellectual here. Um, the second you accuse somebody of that, though, you sound like a pseudo-intellectual. So it's not good to do it. And most of the time, it's like anything. Like most of the time, you don't even need to call things anything. If someone's being a pseudo-intellectual, you don't need to call them that. It's obvious. They're, they're already calling themselves that by doing what they're doing. It's like if you see somebody stealing, it makes no difference whether you call them a thief. Oh, he's a thief. We got a thief. It's convenient. Like at work, I'll, I'll say, oh, there's a thief. I think that person's a thief. But calling them a thief doesn't change whether or not they're a thief. It's the act of stealing that makes them a thief. And so calling someone a name is the same way. Like if someone's behaving a certain way, I don't need to call them a name for that to be obvious. And you see this with, um, what do you call it, like uh, insults. You see it with like the, the treadmill of insults where it, it's like, oh, you can't call people like this that name anymore because it's derogatory. And then you can no longer call this person or this person who behaves a certain way by that name because it's seen as derogatory nobody uses that anymore well a new word replaces it because the the derogatory behavior the the, the behavior that you know gives people a derogatory reaction is still going on or even if it's not derogatory even if it's just what somebody is like let's go with the term retard retard you know it's when someone calls, when someone says that somebody's retarded, you know, it, it's 
considered very inappropriate. It's unacceptable today to the point where you're not even allowed to say it. It's become one of those those words that you're barred from even saying in a journalistic sense or an academic sense. The R word. He used the R word. And that just sounds ridiculous. Called him the R word. And it's the idea that that word is so explosive, that word is so painful, that it can't even be used objectively to describe the word itself. You simply, there's a few other words we know like that. But most of the time, you know, yeah, people use retarded to refer to non-retarded people in an insulting way. But I grew up when the term retarded was far more acceptable and nobody called actual retarded people retarded. Like nobody called them that in a way that was meant to hurt them or to their face. It was just like, oh yeah, he has a brother. He's actually retarded. And when you think about the definition of the word retard, retard, you know, it's, it refers to being slow. Delayed. I, I believe, I'd have to look it up. It's been probably 15 years since I looked up the definition of the word retarded. But my memory is it's something to the effect of delayed or slowed down, which is an accurate description. Oh, he's slow. He's mentally slow. It takes him longer to grasp things. It takes him longer to learn. Retarded. So it's not that the definition of the word ever had anything malicious to it. It's just that people use retard maliciously, often to refer to non-retarded people, so it became unacceptable to refer to it when you're talking about somebody who actually is delayed or slowed. But it didn't change who those people are and the need to categorize themselves because it is important information. I go, hey, there's a guy in the street with his shirt off you know, throwing hamburgers at cars. Is he on drugs? No, I think he's retarded. <laughs> um, you know, but it's, it's, and it too, like, oh, you know, oh, hey, uh, I, I went over to my girlfriend's parents' house for Thanksgiving. Oh, how was it? Oh, yeah, it was good. Her brother was there. Oh, what's her brother like? Well, he, he's retarded. <laughs> you know, oh, he's a really nice guy. He's great. Um, he's retarded. My brother-in-law, you know, I went over to my, my wife's house for Thanksgiving and, you know, I, I hadn't met her brother before and he was there. Oh, what's he like? Oh, oh, you know, really nice guy, but he's retarded. It gives somebody an idea of, of what's, what's actually going on. If you say he's slow, if you say he's challenged, if you say anything, any, well, I don't even know what the, the current word is. He's, um, I don't even, yeah, I don't even, I'm not sure what the current word would be that people are using. But it communicates, you know, what that person is like. It's like the behavior. Like, it doesn't change the reason why you need a word for it. And if you replace it with something that's now considered more polite, like you say, oh, don't say retard, say slow. 
guess what people are going to do? They're going to go up to their non-slow friends and be like, dude, you're fucking slow. You're mentally slow, dude. People are just going to use it that way anyway. And you're not going to change the reason why that word has that connotation and is used in a slang sense the way it's used. But we think we can control that. You know, we think we, it's it's like a belief in magic. Oh, if we change the word, we'll change the reason why people even use the word that way. No, you won't. You'll just give someone a new word to use. The only way you can stop it is kind of what we're seeing now, where you police people so heavily that you socially police them so heavily that it's just not worth saying it at all. And there's a lot of people who would say that's a good thing. But uh, even that doesn't work. Because guess what? People are very inventive. Even if you police people, they'll come up with even better code words. We've seen this in, in the internet. We're back to the internet. Where you'll see like when certain terms or phrases or words are banned on social media, people get very inventive. And, and humor comes from that. You actually give people more. Because when people have to get creative, they get funny. They, they become more attractive. By the very definition of it, they attract more people. Like when someone has to get clever about something, it becomes more impressive. And they often do something fun with that. Something exciting. So with censorship and social policing and things like that, you actually do people a favor in some way. Because um, it's like, instead of, oh yeah, they can't use that word anymore. But guess what? Guess what? They're going to find a more elaborate, but also subliminal way of communicating the same thing. And it'll probably be more effective anyway. Than if they just said, retard. If they just said the word you're not supposed to use... It would have a little effect, but when you force people to get creative, well, that something new comes from that, something big. Um, Pseudo-intellectual, I don't know that I have anything more to say. I, just, I opened up into my favorite topic, which is the internet and the, the supernatural reaction people had to it. The negativity toward the internet today is more scientific feeling. It's like studies show that 14-year-old girls who are active on Instagram and Snapchat experience 38.6% uh, more depression and ex ex were clinically diagnosed with anxiety. You know, polls show, data show, the data shows that Families who are connected on social media experience more family dysfunction than families who have no social media contact whatsoever. You know, people are very scientific about the ills of the internet today. People who have 10 hours of screen time or more a day are more likely to describe themselves as unhappy and seek psychiatric help. Whereas in the 90s, it was just like the internet is a black box. And if you look into it for too long, if you stare into the abyss for too long, 
it stares back into you. And it takes your wife, it takes your, it molests your kid, it uses your credit card. An, an apparition of an African prince will appear to you asking to use your credit card. <laughs> an African prince will steal your wife, molest your child, and an apparition of him will then appear at your bedside asking to use your credit card. And uh, the idea, though, that it's you now have it in your pocket 24-7, and it's you can't even walk down the street without looking at it. You can't wait in a waiting room without looking at it. You can't get through the workday without looking at it. you got to sneak off. I'm going to be at work all day. I better find a chance to sneak off and look at the Internet. That's how big it is, though. But I mean, uh, you know, I've said this before, just general internet talk, but there was a point, though, where like it did feel every time you got on it, you were like, what am I going to find? What am I going to find? What kind of uh, you go to all these different websites? You know, you'd check like 50 different websites regularly. And then we reached a point with just the centralization of the internet where you go to two websites all day. I go to two websites, maybe three. So like the issues, issues I've, I have with like the, the internet are just, you know, the centralization of it. The, um, I don't know, I don't, I don't need to go on about this, but uh, centralization of the internet, the, the non-chronalized, the non chronological uh, I don't know it was revised to be non-chronological it was always chronological because that made sense you go to an early social media site you go to a forum you go to anything like that and everything you see is going to be chronological you went to some blog site or live journal or something and you look at new posts and it's going to be in the order that they were posted early social media same way you go to Facebook everything you see on the newsfeed is going to be chronological in the order that it was posted you go to a forum the threads at the top are the ones that were most recently replied to and it's all perfectly chronological at some point in the 2010s the every single fucking site decided at once which feels very conspiratorial to scramble the chronology, what they call scrambling the chronology, which is that you see this random assort, this random order, and you're told that the algorithms determine it for you. There's a there's a for you tab, and that means that it shows posts in some unexplained order that's tailored for you, and it will not be chronological. And I started to notice too that like even when websites still offered, you know, the default became non-chronological. But even when they still offered a chronological view, if you click on that, it doesn't appear perfectly chron chronological. It's still kind of scrambled. And I think that, that really fucks with your mind and your brain. It makes it frustrating for one. 
it makes it very frustrating as a user to try to consume information in that way. But it also fucks with your sense of everything. Fucks with your sense of everything for information, news, updates, posts to display non-chronologically. And, you know, forums have largely been replaced by a site like Reddit, um, which is just kind of like the distillation of all the worst things about internet communities, but on a very large scale. But they don't appear chronological. Like, their whole system is based on, like, voting. And so it's not chronological either. It's, like, based on what got more votes. And, you know, just show me things when they appeared. Show me them, show me in the order of things that were, things in the order that they appeared or were most recently updated, most recently replied to. Give me some sense of structure. The third major criticism I have about the internet today is just the whole like system. That's another thing that did a lot of damage, more than people realize, because now they're just used to it, and every site has a version of it. But, you know, the internet early on, in the days of forums, journals, guest books, the only way to give feedback or interact was with a comment. You had to make a comment, you had to send a message, you had to send an email, you, you had to say something. If you posted a live journal comment, or if you posted a live journal entry, if someone wanted to acknowledge it positively, negatively, if they just wanted to engage with it in any way, if they wanted to even just let you know they read it, they had to say something. There was no like button on LiveJournal. There was no like button on forums. If you wanted to engage, even at the most, on the most minor level, you had to say something. And so adding the like system gave people this passive way, I've called it the acknowledgement button. When someone likes someone's post, doesn't mean anything, it just, they're acknowledging it. And sometimes it's part of a strategy, oh I like this girl so I'm going to like every other post she makes. I don't want to like two, it's like the, should I send him two snaps back or one snap? You know, it, it's that sort of thing where it's like, well I, I want her to know that I like her. So I'm going to like some of her posts, but not all of her posts. Oh, she's been liking all my posts. She must like me. You know, there's that, but there's also, it's just acknowledgement. I'm going to acknowledge you. And there's a good chance that you're going to look through this list and see who acknowledged you. These are the people who wrote you a congratulations letter when they found out you graduated college. This is a list of people who liked your post about uh, your coffee, your coffee. But it obviously created a new need where people generally weren't hungry for comments in the way they're hungry for likes. You know, obviously if you 
put thought into something and expressed it online. You wanted people to respond or reply, but it wasn't really assumed and you, you didn't really obsess over it. Whereas when they added the like button, it suddenly became this new preoccupation where you don't just express yourself, you then wait around to see who acknowledges your expression. And you check it. I gotta check my post. To the point where I don't even think people care about a, a, a comment. Someone would get a really well thought out comment in response to something they shared online. They're looking at the likes. And not just looking at the likes, they're looking to see if a specific person liked it. Did she like it? Oh, my Uncle Bill and my old neighbor, uh, Sandy, like they, they gave me a really well thought out response to my post. But did she like, did she like the post? And that gets even more um, boiled down with what you see on Instagram stories where it's not likes, it's, it shows you who viewed your story. It shows you who simply saw it, not what they think about it. It simply gives you a list of who saw it. And a, a friend of mine who broke up with his girlfriend a couple years ago was telling me, he's like, every time I post an Instagram story, within seconds, she's seen it. And it's this very meta world where it's, he's posting things on Instagram, he's then checking immediately, she's seeing it immediately, he's seeing that she saw it immediately, he's curious about that, he's wondering what that means. He's telling me she's been posting some stories, like she posted a, a story with pictures of like one of our special places that we would go together. Do you think she was like posting that so I'd see it? And I said, hey, yes, I do. Of course, of course, that's what she's doing. And now she's seeing that you saw it because your name's showing up on the list of people who saw it. It's a very, it's a strange game of ambiguity that people read into where it's not just liking posts it's who's seen it they should have never put that on there another one i've commented on before is like messages whether it's through your phone or through facebook or whatever it is that tell you when somebody saw your message no good can come of that no good can come of that why do you need to know when that other person saw what you sent them. What a bunch of unnecessary anxiety. People aren't mentally disciplined. They aren't strong enough to deal with that. You probably have a million people out there who, when they talk to somebody, they see that, oh, they saw it, but they didn't reply yet. And they're waiting around for a reply or they're assigning meaning to the fact that they saw my message, but they haven't replied. What does that mean? What is, what is she thinking? What's she going to say? Is she going to say anything? Is she not going to say anything? You know, just this unnecessary anxiety it creates in people. 
And it, you know, it removes some mystery too. There should be some mystery to communication. You know, the earlier on the internet was a far more mysterious place in that you put things out there, but you really had no idea who saw it. And if someone wanted to acknowledge it, they had to actually say something to you. They had to contact you. Um, so that's been a big pitfall of the modern internet is the like system. And then you have people who their self-esteem and their sense of self-worth depends on how many likes something get gets. Get gets. Or their follower account. I only have 230 followers. I'm a fucking loser. I'm such a fucking loser. I only have 240 followers. I'm such a fucking loser. You know, there's people who think that. I mean, you know, you see it especially with young women. I remember uh, hearing something a few years ago that, like, when a girl couldn't go to a party, she was letting another girl borrow her phone so that girl could take a picture at that party and post it to Snapchat so that it would seem like the girl who didn't go went. And then people see things too, where like they didn't get invited to a party or get together or to hang out with people, and they look online, and they see that all oh, those people are having a party and I'm not there. I didn't even get invited. Oh, those three people went out for those three friends of mine went out for drinks and they didn't invite me. Oh my god! <laughs> you know, there's that element of it too. Which is just, that's just natural, you know? I mean, that's just going to happen. It's probably a reason you didn't get invited. But, uh, you know, going back to, like, the friend of mine who was like, I should have known something was up with him when I saw how, how few followers he had. And there's people who, like, like, there are guys who, if they heard somebody say that, they'd be extremely upset. There's women who would be even more upset. It would really hurt them. Hey, girl, why don't you get more likes on your posts? What's wrong with you? Hey, girl, why don't, why don't you uh, have more followers? And what's funny about that is, like, the idea of women evaluating that. Like, a woman who sees that a man doesn't get very many likes on his posts or doesn't have very many followers and seeing him as lower status as a result, which he might be. That is kind of an indicator of social status. If somebody is connected to people, one, that's a sign of status. And if he's connected to people and they're not celebrating him, must not be very high status or must be weird or something else. And there's a lot of women who are fine with that, of course. But there's a lot of women who are even quietly evaluating these things. But the funny part about that is I could never in a million years imagine a male friend making the same comment my female friend made. I could never in a million years over drinks, no matter how drunk and candid someone is being, I cannot imagine a guy saying to me, yeah, you know, it didn't work out with Susie, but you know, I, I should have known something was up when I, I saw that she didn't have very many followers on Instagram. I would just look at that guy and I would just think, amazing, amazing. 
amazing. It's amazing. And I can't even imagine it being said, though. Because if anything, a guy is going to have the reverse feeling. Like if a guy meets a girl and he sees that she's not getting a ton of attention on social media, he doesn't even need to, need to be a particularly possessive guy, just any average guy. He's going to see that as, as a good thing. He's going to be like, yeah, you know what? Like she's not out there trying to get a bunch of attention online. She's not out there like cultivating some, you know, group of people who just fawn over her. She's not talking to a bunch of other guys. She's not getting a bunch of attention from other guys. She's not putting herself out there too much. A guy, a guy's, you, know, you don't even have to be a Muslim who's like, oh, my, my girlfriend needs to wear a social media burqa. She can't be exposed to the world at all. You don't, even, you don't even need to be that way about it. But I think most guys are just going to be like, yeah, it's a good thing. That's a plus. Doesn't have a ton of followers. But you know what? He's not even going to look at that. He's, he's not going to evaluate it in that way. He's not going to see it as a sign of status. If anything, if he sees that a girl has a low follower count, he's going to feel like he found a jewel. Oh, I was wandering in the weeds and I found this jewel. Nobody else has found this jewel. But this is data. People make use of data. They use data to inform their intuitions. I should have known something was up. Should have known something was up. He posts pictures of himself and he didn't get a single like on that one. Didn't get a single like. He must be low status in the tribe. The tribe doesn't respect this guy. He must be weird. But, uh... I don't know. But then... You know, they, I don't know. I don't, I don't know where I'm going with this. I need to go. I don't know where I'm going with this. I need to go. Um, started with intelligence, but just wandered into the techno talk. A little techno talk. I got to do it now and again. I could talk about AI a little bit, since that's all anybody ever wants to talk about. And it's rapidly moving along. Just rapidly moving. Artificial intelligence is rapidly moving, folks. Um, but, yeah, I don't know. I mean, it just, uh, it's seamlessly integrated with everything. I mean, just the amount of access we have to each other. That's what I always go back to, just the amount of access. And we voluntarily do it. Because there is sort of a, a social stigma of not having any online footprint. Like, there's a social stigma even today in our world that's governed by social media. There's there's still a so social stigma it's like where it's like, oh, she just lives on Facebook. They just live on Twitter. He's just on his phone all the time. 
mean, there's kind of a, a stigma about that, even though everybody's doing some form of that to different degrees. But there's also a social stigma about not being involved at all. Like, he doesn't have an Instagram. He doesn't have a Facebook. It's almost like somebody doesn't exist when they don't have an online footprint. Because it's going to get you one way or another. No matter how much you try to avoid being on there, you're going to be in the background of somebody's picture. The example I've used before is it's like the person who wouldn't sell their house to some developer who was building a shopping mall. This happened in Seattle. I think it's happened a couple different times. I think it happened at Microsoft too. But I think it happened with a shopping mall in Seattle where some, like you know, a developer wanted to buy like this big block and there was this one person who was like, I'm not going to sell it. I'm not going to sell my house. And so they ended up living in a little house that was completely surrounded by a shopping mall. And it's like, you didn't, you didn't win. Yeah, you kept your house. That's not your house anymore. Like you're just, every window you look out of is the mall. I think that's what ends up happening when you try to resist the internet too much. Like when you try to be a Luddite, a Ted Kaczynski, and you're like, I'm not going to participate. You end up surrounded by it. It's so comprehensive that you're in it one way or another. If someone Googles your name, at the very least, they're going to find like a property record. Your name is still going to be on there in some capacity. Like you can't, some people I think do, but most people just cannot possibly escape being in the system somehow. But now people, it's just, it's everywhere, it's everything. And people still have stigmas associated with it. It's not as... It hasn't been as... It hasn't been integrated as seamlessly in with us as like TV and movies. Like I'd be surprised if today, outside of like some sort of fringe religious people, anybody tries to restrict like the amount of television or movies their kids watch. I know they try to do it with phones. Because phones have the sort of reputation that video games and the internet and TV did in the 90s. But I'd be surprised if anybody's like, you know, you're watching too much TV. We got to cut down the amount of TV. Like if a kid chooses to watch TV instead of look at the iPad or the iPhone, it's probably seen as healthy. Or our son is very healthy. He just watches TV all day instead of burying his face in the iPad. Because TV has proven that it, it wasn't maybe as dangerous as people thought it was. Yeah, it brainwashes people. Yeah, it makes them lazy. They just sit around and watch it. But it didn't have the sort of supernatural impact that some people assigned to it. But people still kind of see phones that way. They're just a little more scientific about it. And it makes sense, too, because we... We're scientific in, in general. Said so I felt very nasally when I said that. I'm scientific in general. We're scientific in general. You know, not that the science necessarily adds up. 
or tells us the whole story, but we at least do try to focus on those aspects now. And I don't know that that's wholly a good thing because I mean, I'm I'm supernatural. I'm into the supernatural. I life is more fun when you say like oh, the internet has a you know there's a supernatural evil lurking within it, rather than saying like studies show that teens who use social media too much are uh, more prone to depression, anxiety, and hating their fucking lives. Hating their fucking lives. They fucking hate life. So studies show that teenagers who use the internet too much fucking hate life. You know, I think it's more fun to say like that there's a supernatural evil lurking in that phone. And the more that your child uses it, the more screen time your child uses, more evil, more evil seeps into your child's consciousness. Your child will, if your child uses that phone too much, he will become a pseudo-intellectual. But I guess to tie all this back together before I end it, like the interesting thing is, is that more people are pseudo-intellectuals today than ever before. And uh, it's having access to so much information where you can read Wikipedia or read what somebody else said on social media and immediately act like an expert in it. You can learn a new word or phrase or idea and immediately act like an expert. It gives everybody this false expertise at their fingertips. It gives people this little fact checker. Well, actually, what you said is wrong, because uh, I just looked it up on Wikipedia, and it says that... Uh, I just looked up what you said on Wikipedia, and it actually says... Now everybody can do that. Um, and, and act smart. Especially with arguments. Like It's one thing to be talking to somebody in the flesh... And somebody looks something up or somebody just read about something 10 minutes before and they're acting like they know all about it. Like, that's one thing. But when you look at, like, text-based internet arguments, what's funny is both people can just be researching what they're arguing as they do it. Like, they can become immediate experts and, like, nobody's even watching them do it in real time because everybody's just typing to each other. You can act like you know about anything. You can pretend to be anything. So one byproduct of this technological era we're living in, this digital technological era, is that uh, you know it's created a lot more pseudo-intellectuals. Pseudo-intellectual, pseudo-intellectual. It's created a lot more sapiosexuals. If you want to blame the internet for one thing, if it weren't for the internet, nobody in the world would ever have called themselves a sapiosexual. This land is mine. God gave this land to me This brave, this golden land to me And when the morning sun 
Children can run free 